Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Super Plumber Brothers. Last week, we beat and finished Super Mario 64, which was quite amazing. Uh, this week, we started Super Mario Sunshine, originally for the GameCube. Um, my name is Anthony Cortez, uh, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. This is Luke. I am joining Anthony Cortez. And I'm Ben. I am joining Luke and Anthony Cortez. So last week, um, we covered the history of Super Mario up until 64. Uh, this week, I thought I'd int- introduce the podcast uh, by talking about the evolution of the GameCube um, and by subsequent proxy, uh, the evolution of Super Mario Sunshine, which kind of goes hand in hand with uh, that council. So uh, basically, we talked about the N64 kind of being this this production well before uh, the 64 kind of came out. Uh, the GameCube kind of has the same history if you examine it in the right lens. So what I uh, researched was kind of how it came to be. And so the team at N60, or Nintendo, they were planning to have a, have a, a council addition um, on, onto the N64, and this was called the 64DD, uh, a dual disc, which I had no idea about until I started researching. If you still have an N64, you might notice there's a port right underneath the 64, and uh, the DD was supposed to plug right into that port and create this um, disc system for the uh, 64. And so this was introduced one year after the 64 came out. And this is a quote from an old IGN, an IGN article called 64DD, Broken Promises. Uh, it's <laughs> no, they're, they're not bitter at all. <laughs> they're not. Well, this is, this is what it claimed to do um, in, in the subsequent years after the 64 came out. So it's games and hardware accessories let the user create movies uh, characters and animations within various games and share them online. So it had online capabilities. The system could connect to the internet through a dedicated online service, RandNet, for e-commerce, online gaming, and media sharing. So this was a, a very, 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 very ambitious uh, project, but it was in the minds of several developers that are working at Nintendo. So why didn't this happen? Well, basically, uh, IGN gives three reasons. I didn't look too much into the reasons why, but the first reason was that uh, Square decided to make Final Fantasy VII for the PS1, and they were just like, we can't wait for this hypothetical, at a you know, council, not council for the N64. So, you know, that was a huge loss. Um, N64 actually didn't get a bunch of developers onto or platform or companies onto the N64 because it was just very expensive to um, make a game for the 64. Also, cartridge and, space was very very limited, and that was the the next point as well. Um, so this kind of 
you know, all these all these compiled on top of each other. People just got less and less interested in this idea of the 64 DD. Nintendo almost scrapped it, but they needed to keep the contract, which ended in 2001. So right before the GameCube came out, and they're just like, let's keep developing and, and see where this kind of goes because, you know, canceling the contract right now would basically cost us too much money. That being said, um, a lot of those projects for the DD uh, got converted into the Dolphin. Uh, eventually, that would be the Nintendo GameCube. So the GameCube uh, was released, fun fact, on my birthday, September 14th, uh, 2001. Um, You're a lot younger and, than you look. I know, it's it's the beard. <laughs> so basically, this, this team that they hire during the development of the DD was called Art X. They began uh, to conceive the GameCube codename N2000, then had another codename, the Dolphin. It was acquired by the company ATI, moved forward with the completion of the graphic chip in 2000. Uh, the fact that it was disc-based was a move to make more money to get some of those developers back that I was just talking about, um, and basically start making uh, less expensive um, games per se uh, because of the disc format. Um, in general, uh, there wasn't much that I read in terms of the GameCube development. I, I focused kind of on the DD because it was just such a novel thing uh, that I didn't know in Nintendo's history. They had actually I, tried something like that as far back as um, the Super Nintendo. In fact, the, the PlayStation, the name PlayStation, comes from a planned add-on to the Super Nintendo. It's supposed to be the Nintendo PlayStation. It was a disk drive that would attach to it in a similar way that the DD would attach to the N64, and they eventually scrapped the idea because it wasn't going to be cost-effective at the time. And then Sony said, well, shit, we've done all this work, and Nintendo doesn't want it, so they just released their own. They just released the PlayStation as a standalone, and they really kind of took over over the GameCube that generation. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know that about in my DD um, uh, articles that I read. Um, so essentially, the GameCube comes out. Uh, it would sell 22 million copies. It's one of the least successful. Um, Nintendo consoles, it's right next to, during the same time, uh, Xbox had 24 million consoles sold. And then PS2 had a historic 153 million uh, consoles sold. And I personally had a PS, or PS2, sorry, uh, growing up. And I, I mean, you're just, you just got caught up in the hype, you know, it, it's just... <laughs> The, the main thing is that it just has all these impressive games. And, you know, when I was looking at the critic reviews of GameCube, uh, people love the GameCube. The critics love the GameCube, uh, but the um, consumers, they just were like, there's no games. Um, and what basically leads up uh, to uh, Super Mario Sunshine being born was that, you know, Super Mario Sunshine it went through all of these iterations. So they just, you know, continuously weren't ready to put it out. You know, going back to the DD, um, Super Mario Sunshine, if you could even call it that, you know, was supposed to be Super Mario 2 or Super Mario 128. Um, the teaser was even shown at E3 in 97, where Mario was moving around with multiple Marios in the screen. Um, and that would be... Uh, two games, Pikmin would come out of that, and then Super Mario Sunshine would come out of that. Um, and so that's that's kind of the 
the very short history of, of Odyssey. Otherwise, the interviews with the development team, uh, you know, they try to make it as as much as a sequel to Super Mario 64 as possible. Kind of how I was talking about uh, Super Mario 3, um, their idea of just, or Super Mario World in the last podcast, how they just wanted to improve on all of the, the gameplay um, of Super Mario 64. So, uh uh, Miyamoto really saw this as the direct sequel of it. And so that's why all of the gameplay feels very much the same. Um, so that that is the history of the, the GameCube and kind of how Super Mario Sunshine kind of, you know, got delays and after delays and into eventually um, it came, comes out in 2002, um, you know, six years after uh, Super Mario 64 comes out. So that is the history. And I'll, now I'll open up for discussion. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about, you know, how insistent Nintendo has been for so long on these proprietary formats. I mean, in fairness to them, it's not like Sony doesn't do the same thing. Sony has a hand in Blu-ray and Sony has a hand uh, to some extent in DVDs as well because they were manufacturing all these DVD players. And, you know, their consoles were manufactured to kind of push that medium as well. Um, to a lesser extent now, they're 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 really pushing digital. I think less out of a sense of this is a medium that's proprietary to us because obviously it isn't, and more just because they want to stay ahead of the curve in terms of technology. But Nintendo has always just been like, what if we had this weird media format that's just proprietary to us? I mean, those GameCube discs. It's funny they got to uh, they got to optical media, and at the same time they got to optical media, they weren't really improving their space difficulties. I don't remember the exact figures, but I think a GameCube disc, it held like a couple gigabytes or something like that. And a dual layer um, uh, DVD holds like eight or nine gigabytes. And so, you know, you'd, we'd see these games towards the end of the PS2 and GameCube generation on the PlayStation that would um, only take one disc and on the GameCube might take a couple. I don't have an example of that off the top of my head, but you saw a lot more dual disc GameCube games than you did PlayStation 2 games at that time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's actually something that... So Nintendo, one of their earliest copy protection things was for the original Nintendo. In the cartridge itself, there was a chip in every cartridge that basically ran um, a checksum, essentially. So the Nintendo would query the cartridge and then this chip would return the correct value and say, yes, this is a legitimate Nintendo game you can do this, you can you can play, like you can load the game. Uh, but some very clever soul figured out that if you put in the wrong chip that sends too high a voltage back, you fry the check chip, <laughs> which totally eliminates that. So once you do that, once you've inserted a cartridge that just fries the check chip, every game is uh, legitimate to that console. So uh, games were notoriously pirated and uh, not approved by Nintendo. Uh, and that really, really got their goat. And that carried through basically until um, the Switch that just uses essentially SD cards. But yeah, so, I mean, there's they, they really kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. They tried to get really clever and creative, but it just wound up being really difficult. Like the same thing, that's why they didn't want to switch over to discs for the N64, which is, I mean, the N64 was supposed to be a 64-bit system, which was supposed to be you know, these wild, capable, like crazy graphics capabilities. And uh, <clears throat> it was supposed to look incredible, but you couldn't store that much information on one of their cartridges. 
and the cartridges were really expensive to manufacture uh, just because they were so worried about people copying them. And it was actually a problem with Sony too with the PS1. Their copy protection was actually ridiculously easy to break if you knew how. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's it, that that point is so important because, you know, today and then people spoke so much about like raw graphics processing power. Um, Anthony, you brought up Final Fantasy VII. I mean, the PlayStation 1 absolutely could not push polygons in the way that the N64 could. But I'm trying to think back to N64 games, and the very, very few of them had pre-rendered backgrounds. And the reason they couldn't do that, at least not to a huge level, there are a few, I think Ogre Battle had them, and there's a few others that did. But it's because of what you're saying, Ben. They didn't have space. You couldn't store these even yeah. like medium resolution pre-rendered the images backgrounds. That were, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You you just didn't have that much space to store that many of those. So you know there there were a few, but just relative to compare it to Final Fantasy VII, where there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those things. And, you know, uh, so it's it's these hardware decisions that Nintendo makes that are sometimes questionable, but it also gives them a very unique edge. And I mean, you know, that's, you know, the narrative has kind of been that the GameCube is when they sort of started becoming the, the weird redheaded stepchild. But I think really based on everything you're saying, Anthony, and the reality is that it really started with the N64 because that's when they really started being like there are all these proprietary things that are just kind of weird about our specific implementation that isn't necessarily at the place where a lot of third-party developers want to be. A lot of third-party developers didn't want to figure out how to make Mario 64. They just wanted to make some pretty pre-rendered backgrounds with some simple polygons on top of it. So, you know, that's what gives Nintendo their kind of unique voice, I guess, though, in in, in, in the medium, is that they'll do those weird things, and it doesn't always work out, but that's kind of part of their character. Absolutely. Um, I actually think it's a really... It's, it's both a very annoying quality of Nintendo, but it's also really admirable that they just refuse to take common wisdom as wisdom. And they will absolutely just like, you know, a box that plays game, to hell with that. We're going to give you a remote control and a detachable thumbstick, <laughs> and you're going to swing it to swing a tennis racket. And it, I mean, right. that wound up, I mean, like the Wii wound up changing the trajectory of how consoles and peripherals were developed for two generations of consoles. So, yeah. I mean, even though they do all this weird, sometimes frustrating, sometimes confounding stuff, they clearly have some good ideas under their belt. Right. And so, like, the, the fun fact that I didn't include, but I'll include now, was that uh, the Wii remote was conceived in 96 as well with the, the DD and all, all these ideas. They were going to include it with the GameCube, and they were like, this is, I, we just can't figure out how to, how, how, two plus two can make, make four at this point. So they saved it for the, the Wii. But um, it's just like, I was thinking through this whole thing too. Is, <laughs> it's kind of like a, a the story of Blockbuster, except, you know, it, it's always, because then, then you start reading the articles about how, you know, these old articles, how the GameCube's going to sink Nintendo and Nintendo's going away because of the GameCube. And, you know, and, the, and a lot of the games, including the one we're about to talk about, get so much hate for kind of i don't know I, it's 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 like half based in reality half based in like you okay. didn't make the n64 um but you know it's 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 i, I just liked researching the 64 dd because you know what could have been you know if yeah. if possible just this insane machine that maybe in like 1998 you know we live in an alternative world and where we have this this 
you know, souped up 64 that has the internet. We can, you know, have YouTube and we share it through like Blockbuster's applications. And, you know, it's kind of like this, this, uh, 90s, uh, steampunk world that I imagine. Is this like, like, this is your version of the man in the high castle? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. If there's any, not anything to add, uh, we can go into, uh, sunshine. I would love to. Let's talk about squirting some bitches. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two seconds here. <laughs> okay. Just to introduce the game itself. Uh, so if you haven't played Super Mario Sunshine, uh, you're, you're basically... Uh, the first scene, you're on a plane with Princess Peach and her cronies, her toad cronies, and you're going to this tropical location. Toadies. Mario has these thick uh, <laughs> uh, heart-shaped eyeballs. You know, he's kind of the, the zombie. Uh, uh, so he gets to the uh, island, uh, which is Delfino, which in Italian means dolphin, and if you want to keep going down the rabbit hole and connect all the dots, you can. It's shaped like a dolphin. That's a big secret. When the la- when they land, there's almost immediately they're immediately accosted by the local authorities. They accuse Mario of being this vandal, this graffiti tag artist. So they, uh, you know, slap on this flood device, which stands for the Flash Liquidizer Ultra Dousing Device. Uh, this handy water pistol, which actually was uh, an idea that one of the um, team members in Majora's Mask had. Uh, they were going to equip Link with some sort of wild water pistol, but they saved it for this Mario game. And so he uses it to uh, clean gunk, graffiti. He, d- he damages enemies. He just can destroy some enemies. He hovers. Um, so it's, it's generally just a tool to navigate the whole uh, uh, game. So you're in this this island, this tropical paradise, quote unquote, um, and you kind of uh, uh, unlock these levels by by flooding you know, the graffiti that's on the walls and jumping through these, um, you know, clean graffiti murals. I don't know how that makes sense. Um, so we'll be reviewing, uh, I want to review the, the, the main stage Delfino Plaza, uh, and then we're going to review Blanco Hills and Rico Harbor. Great. So Delfino Plaza, um, itself is, is like this, this, this level, I guess, you know, you, you, you play through it. There's some shines, in the the plaza as well and and stuff happens in the uh plaza um that moves the story forward um i like delfino plaza uh though there's like this colonial element to it it's kind of weird you know like i don't know if like princess peach has conquered all these tropical people like this is just a play place for her uh just like these leisurely activities for the rich um so uh besides that little part i I do like how you use it to kind of figure out and jump around um to figure out what's going on i think it's a good sandbox um but it is frustrating um at first i think because we played super mario 64 i just i I don't know about the flood yet even after playing through two levels uh it's it's just kind of like this device that i'm still trying to, to to grapple with on how to best move mario around um so that's that's just uh, what I think about Delfino Plaza in general. Yeah, well, can I can I talk about the beginning for a minute here as well? Um, that was yeah. so yes. weird. I have played this game before. I did not remember <laughs> just how 
weird the first like 45 minutes of this game are because you just well first of all Mario is always weird and and usually it works very well to its advantage now there is some voice acting in Mario 64 and there's voice acting in many other Mario games I think there is too much voice acting in Super Mario Sunshine particularly in the first 45 minutes because they just spell everything out and sometimes it's hilarious, like, when you first land and there's this toad standing next to, like, this pile of gunk, and he says, what is all this? It's icky! <laughs> it's just, like, way too much. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, and I do actually like the setup, in a sense, just because it's you're so used to these kind of familiar images, and they immediately put you in this kind of unfamiliar space. But I just think that there's so many scenes, like some of the the monologues with the flood, I'm like, man, you should have cut that down. (laughs) I should not have been listening to this robot like very granularly explain how Mario got framed after the scene where I clearly saw Mario get framed. So I think Mario stories work best when there is a little bit of dialogue, but it's mostly like just the jovial fun of the characters is kind of carrying it forward. I think they did too much dialogue in this game. Um, moving on to Delfino Plaza. Uh, yeah, there were there were more changes than I remembered, actually. Um, no somersault or long jump. Those are two things. I forgot that those were yeah. gone. And the, uh, the, the long jump in particular it has been quite an adjustment because I use that a lot in Mario 64 and other ones. Um, I think that... The, the changes in Mario's actions are pretty good for the most part, though. Have you guys figured out how to do the spin jump yet? It's like you yep. just go and circles Yeah, I figured bunch. it out yesterday. Yeah, yeah It I just was... kind of happened, and I was like, what the fuck is that? So... <laughs> I was kind of surprised when that happened to me, too. Yeah, no, I think it's useless, but it's fun because when you do it, and if you spray the flood, you're like a little fountain, and water's going everywhere. So... I like yeah, doing except that. Except that doesn't do anything. No, but it's fun to do. So I'll I'll, I'll say that it yeah, Chelsea has it has one purpose, and that's when Mario loses his flood backpack, and you're in a secret level. It'll help you stabilize in case you have skidded too far. Yeah, that's true. It's it's, his, it's a very minor save, but it that's how I've seen its usefulness play out so far. I do think that even though the somersault is gone, they've made it so that if you're standing still and then you go the opposite direction, you'll do a side flip. So that's very helpful because it makes it a lot easier to perform side flips. Um, And uh, the wall jumps, I think, are also easier to perform. Uh, And I, I, I honestly, I don't like the way Mario 64 handles wall jumps too much. It's not terrible and it's like a first iteration, but I prefer the kind of sliding down the wall. um, Definitely. So I think the changes in Mario's actions, they may, I I like that they tried to think about it and like, let's not just keep it all in because we're giving you all these additional actions. It definitely takes a little bit of getting used to though. Um, Anyway, those are my thoughts on the beginning. I actually like Delfino Plaza a lot better than I like Peach's Castle because it feels more alive. There's more stuff to do and you kind of actively unlock levels instead of just like, here's another room with another painting, jump into it. I mean, the way you unlock them is kind of samey. It usually makes you fight the same boss over and over again, but I don't know. It's nice to actually have something to do. It's nice to have more than just a couple of toads um, who really don't have anything to say 
to interact with. Not that the people at Delfino Plaza have a lot of useful things to say either, but it's something. What'd you think about the the opening scene? Uh, <laughs> so I never really played this game as a kid. I played a lot of Mario 64, like at least the first half of Mario 64, but I barely played any of this game. Mostly because, um, you know, in Mario 64, you could save onto the cartridge your progress. So people were usually pretty cool about me just having my own file because, you know, three was enough for them. But you had to save onto a memory stick with Mario Sunshine. And I don't remember if you guys remember how expensive those memory sticks were and how little space they actually had. But every block of memory on there was like gold. So I was like never allowed to save my progress. And if you die in Mario Sunshine, you go back to the last place you saved. So if you get a game over, that's it. You start the whole game over if you haven't uh, oh. if you haven't saved. So I'm really familiar with that opening cutscene, and it's still strange. Like it's just <laughs> such a bizarre setup for a Mario game. But it didn't take me quite as aback as it may have you guys because I remember that really well. <laughs> Yeah, I remembered that Mario got framed, but that's about all. And and we do see the Shadow Mario, right? He kind yes. of jumps. Yeah, yes. you see him right at the very beginning. Yeah, he's 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 dark looking. I was I was like, damn. He, I, I think he looks also... cool. One quick note I want to make actually is that the flood. Um, they say that it's made by EGAD Industries or something like that, and you can see this little old man face yeah. on the box. That comes from Luigi's Mansion. That is the old professor That's who right. gives you the poltergust, it's called, in that game. So I like this idea that they gave Mario and yep. Luigi each their own like back gear <laughs> that's unique to them. <laughs> I wish that actually the flood was more common in current Mario games where you know you still the the poltergust and luigi are still kind of synonymous to some degree. Um I I think it's good that Mario is not completely defined by this little back thing, but I I kind of like it. I would like to see it make an appearance every now and again. Uh it still well, he, shows up. He has like, it in Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, true, that's something yeah. that pe- players don't like about it yeah. it should be better it just <laughs> sucks in super smash brothers and i think it just pushes because them, right? it sucks in super smash brothers yeah I, I i expected it to suck in this game but actually you know it has a bunch of functions and i'm still getting used to it so it's a lot better yeah than i, I thought it was going to be yeah uh, uh, that is a nice thing about delphino plaza too is that um like it gives you the opportunity pretty much right away to jump into the first level if you want to but there's a decently sized space that you can go around and just get a feel for how Mario moves and, you know, how to interact and figure out what you can do, where you can do it, um, get some timings down. So that's nice because uh, like Peach's Castle, you know, it had the big outside area, but there wasn't a lot to do there. Yeah. Uh, and in Delfino Plaza, you, I don't know, it feels like you have a little more to do before you get right down to the business of collecting suns. Yeah, they also this game is a lot more tutorialized though compared with Super Mario sixty four. There were definitely like there were some signs in Super Mario sixty four, but they kind of expect you to figure a lot of things out on your own of just like how just by moving Mario around, and that's definitely there in this game. Like the, the spin I discovered by accident, but um, there's also a lot more moments where they'll explicitly say like for this part you have to aim your water gun using this button um so yeah yeah so i mean that is i mean it's a plus and a minus for the flood in that it's just 
since no one actually has one of those, it's not the most intuitive to figure out how to like get the fine controls down. So especially for kids, they sort of just have to pause the game and be like, here's how you do this. Uh, as opposed to just like, well, I bet if I backflipped, I could make it up there. Uh, right. Especially since the flight also, the backpack attachments change. I'm assuming we're going to see more throughout the game. I think there's only know. four. I don't think there's that many. I, th I think you may have already seen them all. There might be one more. I've, there's no, one there's, box that hasn't appeared yet. So one, I know there's more than two. There's one that doesn't show up um, for a while. I don't remember. Exact, I guess I don't know when exactly it shows up. But it sort of is like, it's a really monopurpose one, and it takes the place of, it sort of takes the place of the long jump, but um, I won't say what it is, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. So we'll move on to uh, Blanco Hills. Um, I liked this level a lot. It, you know, we talked a lot about these King of the Hill uh, levels that the team likes designing. Um, I I think this is where I was comparing it a lot because I had the flood. And so even when you're um, in uh, La Bomb Field, was that the first level in 64? Yeah, something like um, that. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah. Right? And, and you have this like expectation level. you're going to fall, you know, as you're climbing up the mountain. The flood's kind of this thing where you can catch your your falls um but i understood why they did it it's because these these levels as soon as i got in there they're just they're huge compared to 64 they're ginormous yeah and so you know you kind of use the flood to kind of navigate this the landscape um and navigate the scale of the of the level itself um so I, I liked I liked that I liked how the levels are just big I liked how it's a king of the hill level um, I really enjoyed the boss battle which I found harder um, and I liked the reprise of PD Piranha I didn't even know this is where PD Piranha came from yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I really liked just meeting this thing for the first time um, outside of Super Smash Brothers and I I at the when I got more into the level. Uh, Luke, you made a comment last week about TikTok Clock being kind of this proto um, uh, level for for Sunshine and, and Galaxy, and I t totally saw that once I got to those eight red coins and, and the other secret level. And that, just like I was talking about TikTok Clock, definitely was my favorite part because I love, you know, Mario jumping through space and like I'm going to die, which I did a lot. Um, so it was, it was a frustrating first level to collect all of the shines. Um, and I still didn't collect the secret ones, but I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed, um, this level for what it was. Yeah. Uh, so the last secret shine is the hundred coin, uh, shine, which there's one at every level. So I'm pretty sure all the secret shines and all the levels are eight coins for the no flood platforming challenge. And then a, a hundred coin challenge for all of them. None of which I am getting, by the way, because those floodless are hard enough as it is. I died a shitload of times on those in uh, Delpino Plaza, or in uh, in Bianco Hills rather, and I never get the hundred coin challenge because it's just really I don't I just don't like it. It takes a lot of time and it's boring. I didn't even know about the eight the eight coin challenges on those secret levels. I didn't know about that. Yeah, you hit a red button um, on this, and then it 
basically you have to get these eight ray coins. This one on Bianco Hills, it was with the backpack, but it's still it's still hard. <laughs> Uh, like Ben was saying, but go ahead, Luke. Yes, so uh, I like Bianco Hills a lot. And one thing that I didn't mention in the intro um, that I think I will be in my closing thoughts that I uh, that I think is interesting about Mario Sunshine because it's very unique to this game is how um, how much effort they w- put into making a an actual real-feeling space. So a lot of Mario games feel kind of disjointed from other uh like the levels will feel or the worlds will feel completely disjointed which is cool and and it's a it's an interesting thing about mario but in this game in bianco hills if you go to the white wall on the uh the i guess southeast south whatever side of the map um if you look down you can actually see rico harbor from that wall uh, yeah. So they they are yeah, actually such a cool touch. yeah they're trying to actually think about where is this on this island, which is probably kind of limiting in terms of how outlandish the levels can be. But I do appreciate it because it it makes it feel like they're trying to really create and give an identity to this specific island uh, that's distinct from the Mushroom Kingdom uh, and, and all the weird crazy spaces there. So I like that a lot about yeah. uh, about this um, this game's design approach that's very distinct from the other Mario games. Um, and when compared with the first area in Mario 64, the Babam area, I think it holds up really well, and it, and it does a similar thing where it's a great, relatively safe level to explore the mechanics. Um, I like I like I like the uh, the second PD Piranha fight a lot, even though. The camera is kind of junk during it. <laughs> There's still something fun about just shooting him out of the sky and and uh, and then popping on his belly. I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I think this game actually is the game where I believe there starts to be some tension between Mario being fun and Mario being challenging. For me, in Mar- at least for me, this is in my opinion, in Mario 64... A lot of times, the challenge would coincide with more engagement, and I would enjoy it more. In this game, there are some of those secret levels that I like a lot, but the second one in this and uh, this in Bianco Hills with those rotating cubes, I don't like that one at all. <laughs> I find that to be a distinctly <laughs> dissatisfying level, where even when I completed it, it kind of just felt like luck. Because, like, I just happened to go <laughs> up this slanted cube at just the exact right time. I, I, I do not enjoy that one. There are several of those secret levels that I did enjoy. I enjoyed, um, th- there are also some spots in Rico Harbor that we'll talk about where I think that the challenge actually becomes an obstacle to the fun. Um, I think Mario Sunshine is a little bit better when there's a tiny bit of edge. But I actually like the flood a lot. I like when you're going up that windmill and there's like these vines in the way and it feels like this fun little thing to just kind of hover around them or like these self-created challenges that I can do in these spaces of like, I wonder if I can hover far enough to get up to that thing. Or there, there's so many blue coin challenges that are so much fun. I don't know if you guys have been working on collecting any of the blue coins, but there's there's this one specific one where if you spray this little orange circle, another orange sor- circle will have this blue blue coin hop out of it but it'll disappear relatively quickly so you have to like jump up the sides of this uh of this little wall and it's this quick little time challenge those blue coin challenges are difficult or some of them are and they're a lot of fun 
Uh, I, I have found that the secret levels where you don't have the flood are a super mixed bag for me. They're all challenging. Some of them are challenging in a fun way. Some of them are challenging in just an irritating way. That I, I, I like those rotating blocks. I just don't, I, I did not have a good time on that one. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think uh, what I was saying last week, I, I like the challenge because I consider myself more on leaning to, I'm, I've started, begun, you know, it's taken 20 years to master the controls of 3D Mario. Um, but that's why I like those uh, uh, challenges. I'm excited for Galaxy because I know there's a lot more in it, but mm -hmm. it, it uses different physics, which makes it more fun. And I think they're trying to play with that. I What I don't like, like if I were a kid or if I were someone to just, you know, just play a Mario game, it's expecting mastery from the first level, which is ridiculous. It's not how it ought to be. Um, so I agree with, you know, how the fun is being sucked out by this enormous challenge. And if you didn't master the controls or haven't begun to master the controls of Mario or 3D Mario, you're not going to you're not going to get the shine. It's going to be like you said, it's going to feel like luck. But it's not even just about that. It's like it's I mean, yes, I agree, but it's like it's it's challenging in the least interesting parts of 3D Mario, which is when do you start to slip on an inclined surface? That's not the part of 3D Mario where I'm like, "Oh, I can really nail that." It's just like, ugh, God, I hate this. It's inconvenient. <laughs> so I, I really like challenging levels. It's just there are certain ones that I don't think were executed particularly well. Um, and I actually, honestly, I think it really is particularly this rotating cube one I did not like. I just, it was, I died. I must have died 15 times on it. And every time I was like, I don't even. I'm not even excited to beat this. <laughs> I just want to like not be doing it anymore. Um, but anyway, but I still I love I love you, the rest did... of this level. I love PD Piranha. I love the environment. I love the music. I love the water slide. I love that the level starts with this water slide, and it's fun to go down every time and like jump up at the end and get on that little wire and blast up into the air. It's 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 a great little place and area to play around in. So that actually I thought was one of the most brilliant things that they did with this first tutorial-ish level is they let you, since you have to do that, well, you don't have to, but it's what you do every time you hop into that level to get a shine, you really get a sense of um, how fast you go when you slide down an incline, how far you hop out of it, and how crucial it is to keep up momentum in order to get over obstacles, in order to hover over obstacles. And you just kind of naturally work it out because you think, oh, I'm supposed to be able to either hop onto the log or hop onto the wire and then, you know, continue my momentum and then woo off into either the mm -hmm. town or into the big lake. So that's really cool. I mean, Nintendo is always great at teaching you the rules of the game without telling you most of the time. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, really the only thing that I have to add about Bianco Hills that you guys haven't already covered is that uh, I feel like we glossed over just how goddamn rad the acapella version of the theme song is yeah. in the floodless levels. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. I love that so much. It, it <laughs> almost makes me want to do every single one of them, but I know I'm not gonna. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> 
no, I, I agree with that. That, that was, that was a highlight. I was, I need, I need to put that on my Spotify. It, yeah. It's just pleasing. It's just pleasing to, to, to listen to. Any, any other last thoughts about Bianco Hills? Uh, or, I, there is one thing and it's sort of a, a nitpick I have with the game in general. And that is that, uh, since by nature, like hovering is one of the major mechanics that you have in the game. It's one of the first things it expects you to learn how to do. So that means that the game is really vertical. A lot of the like intricate platforming movement is really vertical or relies on you being really high above the ground and not falling is the challenge. Go figure, it's a platformer. Now they still give Mario a drop shadow so you can see where he is vertically downwards at any given time. But since you're always so high up, you have almost you, you can almost never see it. So it makes judging distance mm -hmm. a particular challenge, which can feel like not very much fun when it expects you to land on a really tiny platform and prejudge when you're supposed to stop hovering because you still have momentum. And you either just have to, by attrition, get a feel for how Mario moves or get lucky. And that can feel very bad, especially starting out. Like that's, that's a steep bit of the difficulty curve that I wish they had done a little better at. I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I felt uh, that I'm assuming you're you're mainly talking about the uh, the not secret eight uh, coin challenge in that level where you're just you know you have to get to the windmill. You're jumping off and you're like looking for the platform yeah, the and you're just like, am I gonna make it? I'm gonna make it. Yeah. And then you don't make it and then you fall 50 feet in the water. Then you have to do it all Wait, again did, and you're like, fuck, did you guys, Mario. Did you guys get the blast nozzle during that one? You can get the blast. Yeah, nozzle. Uh, you can you can do that. You can do that without the blast nozzle, mm -hmm. and I did it without the blast nozzle because, uh, by the way, it's really fun to say blast nozzle. <laughs> I, I did it without that because it just didn't control very well. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in control of Mario when I had that versus the hover pack. If you okay. could have both of them, I think that would be really awesome. I don't like how you have to switch between hovering and the blast yeah. because they would complement each other so well and it's just not possible to use them yeah both, i kind which of is disappointing i actually agree with that i think that's one of my biggest and even when you get into later levels and the and the and the nozzles are like faded out it's like why just let me play with the toys <laughs> like <laughs> um you know Wait, like if they're going to take them away from you why even on, show okay. you that the possibility is there like on the other hand <laughs> you can't use it on the other hand <laughs> on the other hand i do have a counterpoint to that that i will bring up during uh, during rico harbor because i think that maybe there's an argument to be made for why it's good to make you choose on the other hand i kind of agree with you that there are times where it's like i wish i could just kind of freely pick between these um but I, I actually that red coin challenge might have been my favorite shine on 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 Bianco Hills. I, I loved, um, I I don't know for some, I actually I agree with you, Ben, that I think what they should have done is instead of it having it just be a drop shadow, they should have given you some kind of indicator if you're like really high up in the air of like rough because it, it can make it very difficult to figure out where which direction you need to go, especially with the three D camera. But I, I really liked... Right, like some, something like um, like, like a momentum-based drop shadow, not one that's specifically vertically sure, down sure, in the yeah. same uh, like X and Z coordinates, but like where you would land with your current momentum. Sure, Just yeah. so that it's, it's a little easier to judge. Like you, you can see if you're going to land onto a platform instead of having to be like, if I let go now, will I be over it by the time I hit the ground? Let's find out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think for me, what I my instinct my instinct is to to click the right trigger so I can uh, use the flood again to hover. But he, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't do that. Right, so. you can only do it once per once per air or right. If you wall hop, and, you can do it a second time. But yeah. so, and as long as we're nitpicking, there's one thing that does does stand out that I'm going to be thinking about this entire game. So I might as well just say it is that um, most shines are hidden. Um, by completing the challenge. So like, for example, yes. in Super Mario 64, you can do all of the stars in any order and you can strategize your next star, right? You can like, as you're like, you know, climbing up the mountain, you can see these stars or these challenges and all these things around you and you can plan, you know, your kind of strategy. And that's what I kept doing in 64. In Sunshine, I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to keep going one after another. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the strategic element is kind of sucked out of it. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know what the next thing is, you know? So it's kind of been, mm -hmm. it's also, that's my nitpick. It, it hurts the exploration a little bit because it, it feels like the game wants me to do this one. And some of the blue coins as well are hidden behind. You have to progress through the levels. And I, I wish that it weren't that way. I wish they were all there at the very beginning not even just for the strategy element of it. Now, there are some you can do out of order. For instance, I got the PD Piranha boss fight shine first, actually, before I got the windmill one. Did you really? Yeah, I don't know how it happened. Oh, actually, you know what? I do know how it happened. You know those little blue uh, spider things in the water? Oh, that's right. You can bounce off yeah, of those. Yeah, you, you can like bounce off of those. So I bounced off of one of them because I was trying to get this one blue coin. I'm pretty sure I was trying to get this one blue coin that's like in like above this cliff. And I do love this about like the environments and how sandboxy they are. Like this is something I complimented Mario 64 so much. And I agree with you, Anthony. I think it would be even better if they allowed you to kind of do the shines in any order. But I still love, and part of the reason I love that red coin challenge is because you know, I got the blast nozzle and I kept missing, which should be frustrating. But for some reason, it was like kind of fun to miss. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like I kept missing and just going, ah, shit. And then like trying to do it again. I don't know. It's like one of those weird things <laughs> oh, where yeah, you're no, failing, I... but like the failure is fun for some reason. Um, but uh... yeah, in that in that eight coin challenge and the not secret eight coin challenge, because uh, that actually took me quite a while. Because, you know, there's it, there's so many times you can, like, miss a rope or get right. knocked off by that cyclone wind enemy. Mm -hmm. But pretty much every time it happened, I would be like, Arr! okay, let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, it's simultaneously frustrating. And I do think there are some things they could have done better about it. Um, but there was still just something so fun about, like, I really want to jump way up in the air and time my blast nozzle perfectly so that I rock it way up in the air and then land on this other wire. <laughs> and I must have tried like eight times to do that. And then when I finally did, I was so satisfied. And then this little electric wire hit me and knocked me off. I was like, ah, <laughs> dang it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so sorry. Um, we, we can probably move on to the next one if you want, Anthony. I know I keep talking about all these. I, I just, I, I think that, there's a lot of, of parts in that level that I really, really liked. And I, I really agree with your point that I wish that they just left the exploration open-ended, uh, especially with those blue coins. Because that, to me, that's a lot of the fun of Super Mario Sunshine's level is collecting those blue coins. And um, I wish they left that a little more open-ended. See, I'm not, I'm not really collecting them, but you're making it such a big deal out of it. 
and I need to compete with you to show the, I'm the superior Mario player. So I'm going to start, start doing it. <laughs> They're hard to find. There's 30 in each level. I found 23 in Bianco Jesus Hills, and it was Christ. very difficult to find 23. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but I think th- I those, those are my... I think that, Anthony, specifically you were saying that the you like the challenging spots. The blue coin challenges, I think, make the flood challenging. And all of the other levels where you have the flood, I don't think are that hard. But the blue coin challenges can be kind of difficult even with the flood sometimes. So I kind of like them for that reason. Okay, so we're going to move on to Rico Harbor. So Rico Harbor is this big jungle gym, if I can put it anyway. It's like this jungle gym if like your school pool was right beneath your school jungle gym. You know, that's... <laughs> basically the sense that I get from it. And there's a small part where, you know, it has a bunch of buildings and you get to jump around right there, but it's mainly just a harbor. Um, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. It was too big. It's just like one space. And I don't like levels in any game where there isn't a sense of tension or mystery um, in the level itself. I think for me, that is what bad uh, a bad level, a bad, bad, poorly designed level is it's just, you know, just like Rico Harbor is just one cube, you know, essentially, if you just want to put it like that. Um, so it didn't leave much of the imagination. Uh, I think my favorite part of it, I had two favorite parts. The first one, I loved the squid battle. I think I'm going to like all of the um, boss battles. They're just very inventive. I liked how like undular the squid's tentacles were and how you would pull his like nose uh it was just really it was just really fun to to you know basically bully the squid (laughs) which you do twice in the in the level and then you get to ride squids around which was awesome i love that i wish the penguin came back and i just uh uh there was a race between like a a squid riding penguin and myself and they, they, they went fast I, you know, they went really fucking fast. I re- was reminded of uh, Wave Runner 64 when I was on it. And I was just oh, like, this totally. is awesome. Yeah, I, I had I so much that. fun on it. Um, but the rest of the level, I was like, eh, it's all right. Mm. Um, so that's what I have to say about it. Uh, there is one thing that I particularly like about the blooper fight. And it's another thing where um, Nintendo's just so clever about letting you know what's supposed to happen without telling you. Again, sometimes where you know that you're supposed to yank on the squid's nose, I guess, because it has a cork in it. So you're just like, I want to I wanna pull that cork out, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And they don't tell you that. You're just like, you're just like I want to do that. It's like, I didn't need it. Yeah, they, they have this amazing, like, yeah. tactile sensibility in their visual design that's just like, what's going to make them want to just do. pull on this? Yeah, that's such a great observation. I didn't even think of that. And... I'm, another thing, they're encouraging children to play in active shipping lanes, which is something that needs to happen more. Kids I, are too protected these days. I agree. I bring liberal, liberals. Damn snowflake. liberals, yeah. I know. Snowflakes and their snowflake <laughs> children. Well, you know what happens when you take a snowflake to the harbor, don't you? It melts? It fucking melts, you <laughs> maniac. Don't do that. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I Actually, you know, Anthony, I... I didn't really think about what you were saying there. And I agree that there is a real unification problem in this level. Like a lot of it just feels like wasted space. And But I will say I love the scaffoldings in this area. I, I and, and this was the point I was bringing up earlier where I kind of like that it makes you pick between the blast nozzle and the hover nozzle because 
getting up the scaffoldings with the hover nozzle is really challenging and it's a really fun challenge i think it's a self-created challenge of like and it makes you really realize like okay if i do a hover after you hover you can't wall jump but if i do a triple jump and then i wall jump and then i hover i can get up this way taller thing than i would normally be able to get up so it kind of forces you to learn some things about the mechanics that you didn't realize otherwise. And so I really like the scaffolding area for that reason, and it's fun to go around there and collect the coins and collect the blue coins. I do think the town area felt a little ambiguous and not very fully thought through. There's not a lot very specifically going on over there. I think this level might have worked better if it was just like a mess of scaffoldings. Like a, like an oil rig or something. Like it's just like this mess of sca- going with the colonial theme kind of. It's just like this mess of mess of scaffoldings <laughs> suspended above this harbor. Um, and uh, I love the squid boss fight. I don't think I can add anything to it that you guys didn't already say. But I enjoyed the the timed squid race challenge. But I man, I got really frustrated during the red coin challenge where it seems like they want you to ride the squid. I I could not do it on the squid. I ended up just doing that one by just like being Mario and running out and grabbing those red coins. I got too frustrated trying to do that one on the squid. Well, I think also in, in case I ever I don't know. I obviously haven't played this game. I guess it isn't obvious. I haven't played this game. Uh, I think different squids are different speeds. So I kept getting on the red squid, oh. or the pink squid, or whatever, and then I realized if I got on the, on the green squid, it's uh, it's just a little bit slower, so it became easier. And I guess that's why the squids are all different colors. But I had a, I kind of had a, I didn't realize, you know, that. play around with that. Uh, I'm I'm kind of with Luke on this one. Uh, it was cool to do the race on the squid, but collecting the coins felt challenging because I felt like I was not in total control of the squid, which is just frustrating in a platformer uh which was a complaint i had sometimes with mario 64 too it's way 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 better in sunshine overall i definitely feel way more in control of mario but on some stuff still in some circumstances i still feel like i'm fighting the game to do what i want which isn't a great thing in any game other than that yeah i mean this is kind of a it's kind of a small level uh there is some wasted space in that under the scaffolding, really the only thing under the scaffolding is just water, which is basically just a punishment for falling off the scaffolding. Feels a little wasted. And I mean, it's just an introductory level. It doesn't have to be like super mind blowing, especially because it gives you access to a fair few levels pretty quickly. So yeah. it's okay if one is a little bit lackluster. Sure. But hey, those blooper fights, the big blooper fights are still They're, very charming let's you know yeah, we the should, blooper battles I, I will remember it we should talk about for a second the new platforming objects that are in this game so in mario 64 you had the pole right or a tree those are kind of mm-hmm. platforming objects that kind of put mario into a different control state and then in this game you have the uh well those those bouncy wires and you also have these these, and you kind of had this in Mario 64 with you could kind of like uh, climb across these uh, like monkey bars sort of, you know, overhead. There would be like this mesh that you yeah. could sort of crawl across. Uh, and Mario Sunshine expands that a lot where now you can go on the wall and you can use it to flip around. I really like these platforming objects they've added to this game. I think they're really effective and 
they're they do a good job of varying the gameplay and i think that they were used really well in this level where you have one of them that's on a conveyor belt and it takes you over and there's that one little area where there's some red coin is it red coins or or maybe it's just yellow coins that are in this little maze that you have to climb around in do you guys remember that part of this level where there's all these coins in this yeah i think those are all just yellow coins where is it just yellow coins yeah i i really liked that part of this level yeah, I, I do, going back to Bianco Hills, the bouncy wires were great. Yeah. It's it's just a fun addition, like keeping in the same discussion as, you know, treating this as a, you know, schoolyard play thing, imaginative play thing, you know, that's obviously can't do that in real life, but, you know, you can imagine, you know, that happening or you watch a cartoon, like a, you felt like, Just go you know, slacklining. I, Yes. Uh, but you know, you imagine yourself as like Wiley e. Coyote or, you know, just like yeah. a Looney Tunes character just on a telephone wire and bouncing up and, you know, hovering. And that was super, super fun. Um, but I, I think with the, the, um, the Harbor, it's a 3d version of what we see in, in other Mario games, super Mario world, where you're climbing on the, the fence and you, you knock part of the fence yeah, and you yeah, flip yeah. around and, you know, it's just an, ex- it's an expansion into, into that. Um, which I actually never liked. I don't like. I don't like that. I don't like in Mario you know, World or in just Sunshine? like being being on a fence. I, I don't know. It just seems like well, you're too combative. You always pick a side. You can't be on the fence. <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels like I can't get from point A to point B fast enough. Um, and that's my that's my qualm with it. But I love the I love the slack lines. I, I will. I will say. I hope they come back in other levels. Uh, I do actually have one little nitpick with the uh, vertical climbing and like the hanging and the you know you punch the the panels to spin around. I don't like how there's a different button for vertical and horizontal. Yes, panels. yes. I forgot about that. That is very annoying. Where when you're when you're vertical, yeah, you that press, has made me yeah. that has made me fall. Which I mean, I get where they're coming from. When you're horizontal, you punch through it, and when you're vertical, you jump through it. Yeah. But it's a panel, and you flip around it. Just one button for a panel, like that's so much more intuitive. You don't have to think about it, and you don't fall if you press the wrong one on accident. Well, and it's also like you know why in this game it's Y on the GameCube it was B is the dive button, right? Like, so that's yeah. kind of like your action attack button. So it makes sense to me that that would just be your punch through this little wall thing yeah that is that was a strange decision right. i noticed that when you're well. hanging when you're hanging vertically like when you're hanging vertically you want to go above so you jump through the panel but it just feels needless to separate mm-hmm. horizontal and vertical ones with two different buttons especially because like like i said um if you're on a horizontal wall and you accidentally press the jump button to pop through it then you jump off the wall and if you're hanging and if you accidentally press the punch button or the dive button to go through it you let go. And it's just kind of, it doesn't feel good when you just accidentally press the wrong button. Yeah. I kind of, I liked the fences. Uh, you know, they're definitely not as raw fun as the, uh, um, as the bouncy. Let's talk about one more. There's those, now that the underground areas are these little, these little circular spots that you do a ground pound on. And then you are in yeah, this, like manholes. Yeah. in this invisible underground area and you can't actually see down there. What did, what did you guys think of that? I, I had kind of mixed feelings about it. I 
I, I thought it was like a funny little quirk, but I, I also thought it was overused. I thought it was fine once or twice, but it was a gimmick that kind of lost steam relatively quickly for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating. I think there's so many of them. You know, there's one in Delfino Plaza. Mm-hmm. There's one in um, the Harbor. I'm sure we'll see some again. Um, there isn't a shine, as I know, yet attached to them. So you're, it's it's what Ben doesn't like about collect the hundred coin challenge, which I agree. Like the hundred coin challenge sucks, but like this adds so much more frustration to collecting coins because I'm you're going through an additional maze to get maybe fifteen coins, um, and that's the that's the payoff for something that you know takes quite a bit of time and you can't see uh, the coins uh, necessarily. You know, they're question marks. Um, but it's kind of fun. I like how he blasts out. I always like when Mario does a woohoo. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that part of the underground, uh, you know, part of Sunshine. The sunless part of Sunshine? Yes. Yeah, I guess to me it just felt like an overused gimmick. Like it was fine. The first time it's like, oh, that's cute. They're playing that music and it's like a, an invisible maze. And then they just like kept doing it. And it was like, all right. I don't I don't know if this is this engaging. <laughs> I think once was fine. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. Um interesting thought and it's it's fun to experience once or twice. Um I hope it is not like a major mechanic in one of the later levels. Don't remember that being the case, but we will have to see. All right, so we'll come to uh, the final part of the podcast. Uh, we're going to give our overall review for uh, the two levels and also Delfino Plaza. Um, I think, uh, so just going back to like, you know, part of this podcast is a lot about history, how we feel about Mario and the franchise and Nintendo. Um, there was a lot of hate for this specific Mario game. I feel... This Mario game is kind of the black sheep among Mario games, definitely among Mario 3D games. Um, that being said, um, I, I avoided playing it until this moment in time, um, but I'm, I'm pretty much satisfied for what uh, I, I have played so far. I think there's some technicalities that, that I find frustrating in the game, but just like any Mario game, it makes up for it in inventive um, boss fights, inventive uses of you know tools like the flood or you know the way that the levels designed or you know new obstacles that are that are in um, the game. Um, the story, I don't know how to rate that. I don't know. I have a feeling on it. I'm just rolling with it. <laughs> it's just weird as fuck. Like I'm not sure. And I'm kind of further, and it gets... We'll talk about how weird it gets, so I can't comment on it. It's I guess it's so bombastic that I'm just like, it's fine. It's fine. It's 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 fine for what it is. Um, I think the design is good. Um, I, I don't I don't necessarily like when Mario's in uh, in reality. You know, all of the all the spots in fact when i was researching it a lot of the spots were like direct copies of um you know tropical locations you know the design was was just stripped from these places so it's not as imaginative um 
as some other Mario games are. Uh, and I will talk about the soundtrack. I, I think that's a, such a huge part of the game that we have to talk about it in a standalone episode. Um, but it's not as catchy. I, I feel I feel I feel the island uh, paradise. I feel kind of you know at ease when I'm playing it. There's not tension uh, to a lot of the spots because it's just so uh, you know upbeat and at times calming. Um, so that part, it, you know, I'm still waiting for this this very catchy song to come. You know, this level with a with some, with a hook. Um, but overall, I I like I I like playing the game and, and I think it's fun uh, so far. Yeah, I um, I I I think I overall agree with the sentiment that I I kind of like when Mario has that kind of abstract, non-real, imagined space quality to it uh, in general. However, I also appreciate that. There are certain times, and a lot of times it's in the RPG-oriented Mario's or, or some of the other ones where they try to ground it a little bit more and give the characters in the world and the space a very specific identity. And I think that that's kind of the trajectory that Super Mario Sunshine exists in from a world-building perspective in contrast to something like Mario 64, which is very about these imagined spaces, these kind of non-real, impossible areas. Um, so I, in some ways, in terms of the world-building, I see it as being more related to you know the Paper Marios or Super Mario RPG in that regard, where... The world is contiguous. The spaces are related to and connected to one another. Um, I do agree that it can make it feel a little monochromatic at times, specifically because they're so hyper-focused on this island. I actually find some of the music really catchy, um, but it is pretty... It has a very specific island sort of, you know... um, uh, Italian, often, you know, sort of pseudo style to it that they're going for with these, you know, accordions and whatnot. Um, so I, th- I think that that part of it, I think is effective and I like it. I think that the dialogue is trash in sometimes in hilarious ways and sometimes in just, just regular trash ways. Um, which is actually, you know, that's a big knock for it for me because I think a lot of times the dialogue in, in other Mario games is cute and funny and you might roll your eyes at it a little bit, but it always feels like it's in on the joke where it's making fun of itself. And it doesn't always feel that way in Super Mario Sunshine. Sometimes it very much feels like that. I, I don't think you know that that was bad and it was. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that aspect of it is a little not successful to me even though i think the space is pretty well realized in terms of the design honestly i think it's great i i like the levels a lot that there are some challenges that i don't think are really fully thought through and there are some mechanics that i think could have been a little bit more finely tweaked but i love the spaces i love the blue coin challenges i love the exploration i love the self-created challenges to me that's what mario does super super well is just like I want to see how I can get up there the fastest way I possibly can. And this game has a lot of that. And I think it does it extremely well. So those are my closing thoughts. Uh, well, I already knew that I liked the first two levels of this game. 
uh, because they're basically all I've ever played. So this was a nice little walk down memory lane, a nice way to get reacquainted with uh, how different Mario controls with the Flood versus in 64. Um, how in some ways limited he is, uh, like you can't long jump, like we were saying, but then there's also a lot more fine control you can get while you're hovering, which is really cool. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how they build upon the foundations set in these first two levels, because I mean, if it's anything like, well, every other Mario game, which it probably is, there's going to be some real challenging stuff where they expect you to have it down pat how Mario moves. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Um, I hope I enjoy the end game of this a little more than I did with 64. I hope it's less frustrating and more fun for me. Because that was actually getting through the end of 64 was kind of a slog for me. I was not actually having very much fun towards the end. Um, I know. Four <laughs> went out in bed. But yeah, uh, they're great. Uh, I really, I really do like how consistent uh the world design is how like you were saying luke it really feels like a real space i admire that aesthetic in a mario game even though it's not as like wild and abstract as like here's a whole planet that's made of sand and here's a whole planet that's made of ice here's a whole planet that's underwater but you can still have a cape and fly it's just nice it's nice to have them really think of a physical space for mario to interact in and uh the music actually is pretty catchy, Anthony. You're just wrong. Agree to disagree. So <laughs> far. You don't find that catchy? That one's catchy as hell. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll talk about it later. I need, to, I need to think about it more. Sounds good. I can think about it more. <laughs> cool. Uh, so if there, is any, there isn't anything more to say. Uh, that wraps up um, another episode of the Super Plumber Brothers. Uh, and our first review of Super Mario Sunshine. Um, join us next week where we'll be talking about three more levels, a Bowser boss uh, or a Bowser boss junior um, and uh, some more Mario history. So thanks for tuning in. Woohoo! Thank you for listening. This podcast was edited and mixed by Brianna Holgren. Music was composed by Luke Rendazzo, and of course, hosted by myself, Anthony Cortez, Luke Rendazzo, and Ben Scambos. If you liked this podcast and would like to continue listening, you can find us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts on most channels. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.